0: in order for us to really be fully evolved human beings, I think we need to balance our analytical drive with the creative drive. And in that balance comes a certain intelligence that cannot just come from quantification. It cannot just come from spreadsheets or whatnot. An intelligence that comes from empathy, an intelligence that comes from humor, from courage. It's an intelligence that comes from soft skill, an intelligence that comes from happiness and positivity. We don't talk about positivity and happiness in business enough. We don't introduce into the dialogue a certain joy of doing things and a certain joy of accomplishing those things that we're doing.
1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Artists of Data Science podcast, the only self-development podcast for data scientists. You're going to learn from and be inspired by the people, ideas, and conversations that will encourage creativity and innovation in yourself so that you can do the same for others. I also host open office hours. You can register to attend by going to bit.ly.com forward slash A-D-S-O-H. I look forward to seeing you all there. Let's ride this beat out into another awesome episode. And don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave a five-star review. Our guest today is an expert on creativity. He's taught thousands of leaders and individuals around the globe how to harness the power of creativity and ultimately create more meaning in their work. He was one of the youngest professors ever selected to teach graduate courses at the Art Center College of Design in Pasadena and has taught undergraduate courses at the University of California at Los Angeles. Over his career, he's held countless workshops, consulting, coaching, and keynote speeches at conferences and corporate events. Over the last two decades. He's worked on numerous albums, movies, and advertisements with famous actors and musicians and has distilled and codified the formula to creativity. So please help me in welcoming our guest today, author of The Creator Mindset and CEO of The Creator Mindset LLC, Nir Bashan. Nir, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be here today. I really appreciate you coming here.
0: Yeah, cool, man. Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. I hope.
1: Oh, absolutely, man. I know that your book is really awesome and I'm really, really excited to dig into it. But before we do that, man, talk to us a little bit about where you grew up and what was it like there.
0: Yes, sir. So I, yeah, I was born in Israel um, and raised in Los Angeles. And I started my first business when I was nine years old, going door to door washing cars. And it was, you know, Los Angeles during the early 80s. And so people would buy, like, you know, a shiny, brand new hot, 1981 Ford Taurus. I and mean, we're like, yeah, you know, that's my Taurus right there. And I'd go, you know, nine years old with, you know, my voice kind of cracking. And I'd knock on the door, oh, I'd like to watch your car. And people were like, no way, that's my Ford Taurus. You know, I worked my whole life to buy my Taurus. I can like, watch that. And so I learned from a very early age um, that, uh, you know, in order to be successful at business, you got to be creative. You got to start selling people stuff that they'll buy, right? And and if they won't buy a car wash, then maybe, you know, I can clean up their trash cans or something. I did a lot of that. And, you know, I, I eventually washed a few cars and I learned to be creative. I learned that in order to be successful, I had to be creative. And that's my background, man. It's just from day one, from my first, you know, job or whatever, I've just been being creative in order to be successful.
1: It's quite the enterprising youth, man. I like hearing stories right, like that. right. So as you're growing up, you're making your way through high school. Like how did this, this, um, like how did you imagine your future would be? When you're when you're coming up and growing up, what did you think you're going to end up doing?
0: I thought I was going to end up in music, right? I thought for sure that I'd be like a touring musician. I mean, I've had bands my whole childhood, right? From what, 12 on. And, you know, I was playing clubs around Los Angeles at like 14. Barter, bartering with the club owner, like, you know, give us, you know, a dollar out of the five dollar door charge. They'd be like, hell no, you know, and then I'd be like, okay, so here's the deal, right? On one of the Fridays when we play, if you give us a dollar from the door, I'll throw in two more gigs for free, right? And, and like, they were like, okay, fine. And so it it's just from an early age, man, I've always been you know, thinking about a way to make money and, and be effective. And I, you know, I thought for sure that I'd end up, you know, being a musician or making music or something like that, but that just wasn't the, uh, that's just, you know, not how it
1: panned out. So when you're coming up as a musician and, and during that younger portion of your life, like when you heard creative, did it always just mean something that was like a musician or an artist? Was it like synonymous with that?
0: Totally. And I thought that, you know, you're born with it and that's it. You know, you're, if you want to be creative, good luck. You can't because, you know, you're either born with it or you're not. And it's in those very recording studios where I learned that that is completely not true. I've worked on a bunch of albums. I I started in hip hop. I was, uh, you know, I worked on KRS-One albums. I don't know if you remember that guy, but I worked on uh, Cypress Hill. You remember them? Yeah. Yeah. And like what I saw was two things, right? And I worked in Hollywood later too and I saw the same thing. I thought there were either people who had it together and they had a replenishable instant creativity. They pull it out whenever they needed it and it was awesome. And then I saw some people which were very few. The media and everybody makes it seem like it's a lot, but it's very few. They're the ones that make the news though. Uh, that were drug addicts and alcoholics and that's how they got created from a bottle, right? And so I learned that, you know, Who wanted to do that? I I wanted to be instantly creative like some of my heroes. And and I noticed that they had a technique, all of them, a little bit different, but they all had some technique. And it turns out that that technique makes them no different than you or I or anybody listening to this podcast, man. It makes them no different. It's all about coming up with that creativity and learning how to harness it and repeating it and pulling it out whenever you need. And then fast forward to the business um, you know, sector I've worked in advertising and I've ran a furniture refinishing company for a while and all of these different fields that I've worked in. And they're no different than music or Hollywood. It's all about coming up with a predictable creativity that you can pull out whenever you need it and applying it to problem solving. And so that's kind of, that's kind of how I came up.
1: I like that, man. It's really interesting. I've always held, the, held that same belief that creativity is, um, I, well, I used to think it was only something that only a certain few select gifted people had, but over time I realized that it is something that you can develop and cultivate. And that's why I really, really enjoyed your book. The way that you really give us actionable tips that really are are free, you know, they're in our heads that are in our mindset that we can use to start becoming more creative. Um, so Leah, let's dig into it, man. Let's get into your book. So it's kind of starting from a very early concept in your book. You talk about, uh, Being analytical isn't always the best thing to do, right? Um, Like data scientists, we're super logical, highly analytical thinkers. But why is it that just having logic alone is not going to be enough to propel us to that next level?
0: You know, it really is about understanding that the data makes no sense unless it's turned into information that is actionable. We live in a society in a day and an age where we can get data on just about anything right we can get data on how many zoom calls people are on a day we can get data on how many steps it takes you know to go from my house to mcdonald's right i just dial it up but what does it do to have that data if we're not able to make that into information it's meaningless and so for me it really is about you know combining the analytical and the creative in the best way humanly possible. It's not about ditching the analytics and becoming really, really creative. And it's not about ditching creativity and becoming really, really analytical. It's about coming to the middle and combining it into the best optimal blend that humanity can do. And right now we're so busy being analytical about everything that we've lost our way with creativity. And we tend to do things just to do them because someone is willing to pay us to do it. And we've lost sense of what doing really means without creativity. We're just, you know, cogs in a, in in a, in a sort of endless cycle of doing and the creativity then attaches meaning to that work.
1: So how can a non-creative person then kind of discover their creativity and put that to work.
0: Anybody can discover their, so listen, I feel like we're born with it. Everybody was born being creative and it started, you know, 50, 60,000 years ago with Harriet, you know, she was the early cave woman and like, kind of a badass like the first like superhero badass right and she was being attacked by like a a lion or a saber tooth you know whatever animal and the animal was bigger and the paws were like the size of your head and you know she she was like oh man what do i do and she had the world's first creative idea, which was to take a stick that she saw floating and to take a, you know, a sharp rock. And she put the rock on the top of the stick and use it to fight the beast. And she won. And that creativity has been embedded in us since, you know, early, our earliest ancestors. And so we use it for survival. And that is how ingrained it is in our day-to-day existence. And we've, gone so far away from that today, man. We're just like, what are we doing? You know, we're worried about our reputation. We're worried about, you know, what people might say. And and what we're missing is the, you know, 2020 equivalent of a stick and a rock on the end. You know, the the spaceship that'll take us to Mars, right? We're missing the cure for cancer. We're missing all of these amazing modern day equivalents of creativity that a modern day Harriet can put together because we're worried about, you know, what people might think, or we're worried that we're not being taken seriously or that, you know, we don't have the numbers or the data to support this type of thing. So we, we all lose in that uh, event and, you know, we have to we have to get back to a more balanced a balanced sort of humanity.
1: Yeah, you mentioned that in your book that the creator mindset is a correction in the way that our brain has been functioning. So is that, you know, because coming up from those early days getting chased by saber-tooth tigers in the jungle and all that, we had really one basic concern are we going to survive to the next day, right? And now it's a lot of that a lot of that has been taken away where like we're able to live much more comfortable lives. And is that why that th- this has become a correction, I guess?
0: Absolutely. We've gotten so comfortable in modernity that we're looking, you know, for problems that don't exist. I, I did a talk for a software company. Uh, oh my God. It, a convention. And I went on the stage and I basically said most people in the room are designing software for problems that don't exist. And you know people were pretty ticked off to say the least, um, but my point was that you know we we 've become so comfortable we 're over comfortable we 've become so good at you know differentiating our food supply like we don 't we don 't even know that like you know that turkey meat in our you know subway sandwich or you know jersey mike 's sub is like a real animal like we're so disconnected from our reality of even how our food comes into into play and so i feel like we're overly comfortable and in that abundance of overcomfort is the lack of ingenuity of innovation of creativity that takes us to the next level i feel like too many of us in our businesses and in our careers have just arrived at a stale point, man. Like we've arrived at a stale sort of plateau and we're like, yeah, it's good enough. Let's just stay here. And the problem with that is that we don't get ahead of the society. We don't get ahead as people when we're just, you know, lavishing all of this love on technology and, and, you know, Taking it away in every other sector, I, I, I think we need to we need to get better at it, and I think society will do better once we 're more attuned to our creative DNA
1: and you mentioned this new unorthodox approach now to business leadership is being creative, uh, so you also mentioned that good leadership relies on on sound business acumen, so talk to us about how that works out right how How is, how is creativity? Um, impacted business acumen?
0: You know, it is the, in companies that are doing it right, it is the difference between them being, you know, incredibly successful and out of business. Look, the pandemic hit and you have some companies that are doing wonderful out there, Amazon, um, Elon Musk companies, you know, and then you have some companies that are struggling and going out of business. Look at retail, look at, you know, some of the uh, Gap brands, um, at least in the U S are struggling and it didn't have to be that way. But a lot of people got super comfortable and stopped being creative and stopped reinventing. They figured it, it'll be like this yesterday. So it'll be like this tomorrow. You know, it's really interesting. Humans are dying to look for patterns and stuff. We love to think that we're in control of randomness, but we're not. And I like to talk about a story of casinos right at, at the roulette wheel. They started, I'm sure your listeners know this, but they started putting in, you know, screens that show the last, you know, 20 or so spins of the wheel, right? And they're hoping that, and they're they're actually incredibly successful at people going by and seeing, oh, you know, it went black four times and then red four times, so it's going to go black again. And they bet on these things, but the history is meaningless when it comes to the next, decision point, right? It's meaningless. And yet businesses and careers, they're no different. What happened yesterday is freaking meaningless to what will happen tomorrow, right? You could look almost to the date, what March 13th, 14th in the US at least, where like everything changed overnight, right? On the 13th, you were like, yeah, okay, I'm a little worried about this pandemic, but whatever. And then on the 14th, all hell broke loose. So it happens time and time again in history. It happened, you know, uh, at the Gulf war, it happened at nine 11, uh, the world changed in like, 10 minutes. You see it over and over again. Yet, for some reason, we like to feel that we're in control of the chaos and we're in control of the randomness when we're not. There is no such thing as control of that. But what we can control is how we come up with ideas to deal with ifs and buts and all of the fringe elements that may or may not happen. A good company and a good person on a career path is armed with creativity to be able to solve problems as they occur in new and different ways. And that really is the most important thing that we can do today to become relevant and to stay relevant and to stay successful. And that's what I've dedicated my life to doing is to breaking down the barriers for people to be creative, whether it's, you know, they don't want to be embarrassed or they don't want their reputation tarnished or whatever, and breaking those mentalities down so that people get excited about coming up with new ideas and people take that leap of faith and go out and do things that will benefit humanity as a whole.
1: Absolutely love it, man. Absolutely love that. So in the world, obviously, are
0: you a bit of a roulette player? Oh man,
1: no, no. I'm a you, you put some money on black before? <laughs> no, no. Well, I mean, back in the days, yes. After, right. <laughs> After a few drinks, three, three o'clock in the morning, walk around Las Vegas. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's see if Black comes up.
0: Yeah. You, yeah. me, and everyone else. <laughs> trust me.
1: Uh, but yeah, the world's completely changed. Like you mentioned, like last seven months. What are some of the practices of, of, the, of yesteryear that we need to get rid of to really be successful in the business of tomorrow?
0: I think quantification has now taken a whole new meaning, like data, sets are taking a whole new meaning. It does not, you know, a equals B and B equals C anymore. I'll, I'll give you an example from my own business. Uh, I spend a lot of time doing, you know, free work that doesn't equal a uh, particular goal or a particular sales item. And what ends up happening is, I'll do a podcast like this one, and somebody will be like, "Oh, that guy's really funny," or hmm, "He said something really interesting." And they'll call me and they'll say, "You know what? Why don't you come aboard and help us with something? Uh, we're a nonprofit, and you know, we, we don't pay, but like, it's a really good opportunity." And I'll say, "Okay, if I had the time, uh, I had a school." asked me to be on their board of directors this way, same way, Um, and so I said yes, and now I'm on their board of directors, and I met somebody who was working alongside me doing the same thing, they needed some training, so I ended up doing a month of training for their company, um, and so on and so forth, right? 20 years ago, 50 years ago, that kind of stuff didn't exist. There were no podcasts. There were no different sort of modalities. You went to work somewhere, you clocked in. And if you work six hours, you get paid for six hours. You worked eight hours, you get paid for eight hours and things have completely changed. And, And what we're going through now is a real big state of change and how we react to that change is more important than what's happened in the first place. Um, COVID has hit, whether you agree with it or not, or think that it, you know, the most horrible thing ever to, you know, hit humanity, or whether you think it's no big deal, it doesn't really matter. The only thing that matters is what you do with that. And so... I think that we're seeing the world all around us change. The billing models of yesteryear are being replaced with non-linearity of today, the tangential relationships of, you know, what it means to look at a data set and apply it towards something. It's not really one-to-one anymore. Um, and, and I argue that it's never been. So I think what you're going to see is a, um, a sort of a pushback to quantification of things. I think companies and careers that are going to do really well are going to intelligently push back, not just say, "Oh, you know, oh, I think it sucks." It's like that's not enough. You can't, you know, you have to really sort of make a, an argument as to why, you know, why quantification is not exactly working because parts of it are brilliant. And again, I'm not saying throw it away. I'm saying to combine it with a different modality. So if we're able to do that, I think we're going to see what a successful company of tomorrow is going to look like. But yeah, everything, everything is really in in a state of constant change and crisis and stuff like that really exasperates the, uh, the, um, the speed of it.
1: So talking about quantification, can you just kind of make that concept concrete for us what is it that uh, that you mean when you say quantification
0: what do i mean by quantification yeah you know uh, attaching numbers to something we love attaching numbers to anything we feel that in our quest to try and understand the universe if we attach a number to something then it makes sense right uh you are six four right you're tall you're a tall guy and i'm you know Five, eight, and somehow that means something to us. Well, what does that mean? I don't even know what that means. It doesn't really mean anything. It's just something we agreed upon that we say, okay, you know, this has some value for us to describe something. And if we look at our business or a product or service or our careers in terms of, you know, I put an X amount of work and I get Y amount of pay, then we'll never get ahead. We're, we're already in an outdated modality. But if we look at our product or service or our work and say, I put an X amount of work and then Z happens and a little bit of J pops in with some A, and then I met somebody who was a vendor who introduced C, you know, now you're really thinking like, Uh, uh, somebody who's creative and somebody who is looking at the world in a different way. So I feel that quantification is just the mere act of assigning a number to something. And that is just not good enough anymore. It's not. And and look, look, I do a lot of work with financial services people, right? You think those people would hate me, but they love me because I'd say, if you look at a P and L sheet and if you look at your quarterly or, or whatever, are you seeing the full story? Absolutely not. You're not. And you're seeing at best, at best, 50% of the problem at best and 50% of the situation. Um, but you're missing out on so many amazing details and amazing drivers behind the numbers that, um, that you can't just rely on that anymore. I think we're gonna see a movement of of people, of businesses um, start to really understand that there's a holistic approach to running a business, soft skills and all of these amazing intangibles that you you can't quite put your finger on, but you know affect the bottom line in a very robust way. And that for me is creativity and that's understanding the nature of creativity and how it plays into a business.
1: That's absolutely wonderful, man. Thank you for that. So quantification, just reducing things down to numbers, seeing as yeah, just like a figure in a spreadsheet. But then when you think about it more creatively, you kind of step back and see, okay, how does this fit into the overall picture? And you're kind of making connections between different ideas to see how this number is being impacted by different things. Right. Yep. Absolutely. So, so you mentioned earlier that you're on a board of directors for a school, man. I think that's really cool. Um, and you talk about this in your book that, you know, as we get older, we lose that curiosity and that creativity that we have as children. Um, Why is it that that happens?
0: You know, I don't know. Um, (laughs) I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm on the board for two schools, (laughs) like two colleges. I, I, I don't, so I don't know if it's school. I don't know if it's society. I don't know if it's pressure, but as we get older, you know, you read the book, right? So, I did some research in it and we saw that babies learn how to be creative before even language skills take place, right? And somewhere along the way, we lose it. I I really don't know where, but I know that schools are not in the business of encouraging creativity. We have a school system and a school structure that has not changed in over a hundred years, right? There's a teacher in the front of the room. There's rows, you know, you absorb the material. If you absorb it, you know, you do a test to show that you've learned something and you know, you move on. Well, is that the best way to do it? And is that capturing creativity at all? You know, um, there's countless stories. I, I I've had it happen to myself where, you know, you're in kindergarten or whatever and you're drawing a tree and your tree is pink you know, and the teacher comes along, well, you know, near trees aren't pink, they're actually green or whatever. And you're like, damn it, you know, okay, cool. I'll get it right to the next time. And so, you know, you kind of are educated out of a creator mindset, out of thinking about problems in creative ways. And you're ushered into a love of quantification yeah. of spreadsheet logic and numbers that, sometimes lie to you yet we love those numbers so much because we feel like they're almost like a long lost friend and yet the the friend is no, not really long lost and the the numbers aren't really telling us all that we need to know there's got to be a different way there's got to be a new way to look at those things
1: and that way's creativity What's up, artists? I would love to hear from you. Feel free to send me an email to science at gmail.com. Let me know what you love about the show. Let me know what you don't love about the show. And let me know what you would like to see in the future. I absolutely would love to hear from you. I've also got open office hours that I will be hosting. And you can register by going to bit.ly.com. forward slash A-D-S-O-H I look forward to hearing from you all and I look forward to seeing you in the office hours. Let's get back to the episode. And you talk about this really cool framework for creativity in your book The Trinity of Creativity. Uh, Can you walk us through that?
0: Totally. So I believe that anybody can be creative. It just takes the tool to learn how to do it. And so my tool to manufacture creativity and to pull out instant creativity, whenever you need it's called the Trinity. It's the concept, the idea, and the execution, the concept is the largest sort of view that you can have on any item. And it is just the biggest way to view something. And then, uh, the idea is kind of the middle level view or the street level view and the execution of the exact product or service. You know, if you're a car manufacturer, the, you know, execution is the, you know, Honda CRV model number 18 22 with leather seats and a backup camera, you know, and the push button start, that's the execution. And then you know, once you are able to establish these things, you grab a pen and a paper, again, writing stuff down, it's like super duper important, grab a pen and a paper, and you start to write down what these things are. And as you start to expand up and down the chart from the wide view to the very specific execution, you're able to generate creativity by just doing the act of going through the exercise. And when you go through the act of the exercise, you start to realize, hey, you know, maybe I could add this option and become more successful. Maybe I could change or tweak this and become you know, more profitable, so on and so forth. So it is literally a technique that anybody can learn. I've done it with one person, one-on-one. I've done it with 1,500 people in a conference before. You just get out a pen. It takes five minutes to learn how to do and a lifetime to master. And it's one of those things where you are empowering yourself to create creativity whenever you want it.
1: And during this process. Uh, why is it crucial that we shut out the analytical part of our mind?
0: It, it, it's critical that we start to develop a different way of looking at things so that our analytical mind can take a break. Uh, listen, there's nobody, you know, who's writing books and out there sort of going, you know what, we need to be more analytical. Um, Why? Because everybody is analytical already. That's what we're set up as society, not only in the US or or in Canada, but global society. That's what we do. And I've studied it, you know, from Africa to, to the Far East, doesn't matter where you are. Like we love to kind of try to control our world with what we feel gives us predictability, which is analytics. And that is a wonderful thing up to a certain point. But as your listeners know, the analytics don't capture the entire story. They never will. And we need a better and we need a different way. And so I'm advocating to combine those two things together. And so when you're doing the concept, the idea, the execution, I want you to be, you know, free in thinking about as many ideas and as many combination of ideas as possible so that creativity can can manifest and spread.
1: That framework, like we don't even need to, limit it just to problem solving at work, right? You can kind of use that framework for for your your life, right? Let's say if you're trying to pick your career path, the concept could be, okay, I want to be a data scientist, a data professional. And then the middle part could be, okay, well, I want to be a data scientist working on in an e-commerce industry. And then even further, it could be, okay, data scientist, e-commerce industry working on specific types of problems, Right.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it it really is about getting kind of creative about it and, you know, figuring out where your spot is. And that is, listen, I love this show, right? You're, you're the artist of data science, right? You're, you're thinking about combining the two and you're already, and your listeners are already sort of receptive to that modality. And I think you guys are like light years ahead of the competition right now. You know, most people who, deal with data subsets are sort of worshiping their numbers. They love them. They want to pet them, you know, give them little kisses and and kind of stroke them gently and give them little hugs. These are my numbers. And, oh, this was studious. You know, this came about through incredible amounts of, you know, of data set and, you know, 623 hours of this and a, a pool of 922 participants and thirty two countries that you know we, we fall in love with like the value and of the numbers, but you know they just aren't really the full story and so you know for me it it is about understanding um, that you know there's a certain fallacy in understanding that we think we know kind of everything and and adding that intangible to it is it not only not only build humility but it allows you to look at that data set in a way that the next guy or the next gal won't and if you're able to do that then you add value to your client to your customer who is paying you to come up with this, or who is, you know, your business is engaged to produce this for somebody, you're adding an insane amount of value by stepping out of the box and stepping out of the sort of prescribed area you're allowed to play in, in order to give people value.
1: Absolutely, man. hundred percent agree with that. Like to me, creativity is in especially how I see it in data science is just the ability to take, disparate ideas that look like they don't belong together, smash them together and apply it to solve whatever problem you have in front of you. The way I I most commonly see it is just looking at different industries and different problem statements. Like I'm looking at a problem statement that somebody is using in economics. They're using this particular model to solve this particular problem. And I'm over here in a completely unrelated industry, but I can kind of see the parallels in between that and use that as inspiration to solve but it is i'm working on so yeah just oh on. there's
0: no doubt you know when i was in yeah i, I agree with you 100 percent. when i was in uh, grad school we had a teacher uh I, I i got a film masters but an advertise i was an advertising program the whole time as you can imagine i went to the chair of the program and i said listen i'm looking at a few different schools and whatnot um, but I want flexibility. And he was like, just the fact that you're meeting with me and telling me that I will, I'll let you do whatever you want. If you take this class and that class are the only requirements that state of California gives me to give you a degree, just take the basics and then do whatever you want. So I did. And I took a little bit of advertising. I took, um, science classes and different, different things. And one of the, uh, teachers, uh, in the science class was, a, a JPL, uh, Jet Propulsion Laboratory scientist, and he worked on uh, string theories and all of these uh, really smart things. And he was like by far the smartest guy I've ever met and far smarter than me. And I, you know, we were looking at his, his work and there's no way that I can ever contribute anything valuable to an entity like that because I don't know exactly what they're doing. But sometimes having an idea from somewhere else into a place that is like literally with their blinders on. I mean, they're surrounded by a bunch of PhDs and they're so far down the rabbit hole, they don't know where they are anymore, okay? And so, uh, you know, we became friends and I went into the lab a few times and I just asked questions. I asked really stupid questions for the most part, but I could tell once in a while, I asked something that was so stupid that like I could see a light going off in the group and they were like, wow, we've never really looked at it that way. I'm like, great. You know, that's kind of my creative take on it. Is that of any value? And they're like, well, you know, if we do the, if we repeat the experiment this way and so on and so forth, maybe there'll be something there that we've never looked at before. And just having that little crack of a door open is an amazing thing. I feel like we've spent our lives specializing so far down a rabbit hole that we're not open to ideas that would help us broaden ourselves in that particular rabbit hole and and to look at things in a bit of a different and and bigger light. And so I think it's critical that we that we uh, from time to time kind of check ourselves in that mentality and and see if you know if we're maybe too far down that rabbit hole.
1: So we talked about a couple ways here to to increase our creativity, turn up the volume a little bit, that's not focusing so much on the quantification of things, kind of letting go of logic a little bit, getting out of that rabbit hole. What else? What are, you know, a couple of other things that we could do to, to turn up the volume on the creative side of our thinking process?
0: So I think a lot of it is listening to and looking at our little victories. I think that we spend our life setting a goal, right? We're going to generate this data set by this date and so on and so forth. And we march towards it. That's our three year, right? That's our five year or whatever. But what we miss is all of the wonderful little breadcrumbs and the things that happen along the way that could be far more powerful than just setting that main goal. Um, there's a, famous story about you know an ice cream machine salesman who wanted to sell a bunch of machines his approach was analytical i'm going to get a sales list and i'm going to you know set up the country by region and i'm going to go for these things and that and you know what ended up happening was he sold some machine but like any analytical only business. Uh, soon he, you know, was faltering. He couldn't grow. And he noticed that there was a restaurant in California that kept buying machines. So he showed up one day, there was a line out the door and they were using the machines to make milkshakes, right? And a line out the door and, you know, people like uh, milling about the whole deal. He finally got to the line and he had the best cheeseburger he's had in his entire life. Best cheeseburger ever, right? And the guy's name was Ray Kroc and the restaurant was McDonald. Had he have stayed on his main goal, dude, who knows what would have happened. But because he he decided to look at little victories, um, those little victories ended up leading to a much better spot. And so what I urge your listeners to do is look around and see what little victories have been occurring. And are you capitalizing on them? Or are you just steamrolling past them on your way towards that big goal in the sky.
1: Yeah, absolutely love that, man. Because, I mean, you, you could have a big goal of, oh, I want to get, you know, I'd be a data scientist at Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, or Google, right? But if you just focus only on that, you're going to shut yourself off to opportunities where you can be a bigger fish in a smaller pond, making an evil and even bigger, meaningful contribution to the organization that you can potentially be hired at. Um, but you just got to be open and and receptive to it and be willing to wander off the path that you've kind of paid for yourself, right?
0: Yeah. And it's, it's looking at what's been working, right? So if you want to work at Netflix, right? And, you know, you're really good at other types of data, and yet you're trying to kill yourself, right? You're like, "Oh man, but no, I, that's what I want to do. It's about looking at what life has been telling you in a creative way, and then adjusting towards that goal so that things come easier to you, so that it's easier for you to make money. It's easier for you to sell that product or service that you're offering. It really is about piecing those little things together creatively to allow you to succeed.
1: I love it, man. Talk to us about the relationship now between emotional intelligence and creativity, and how does one influence the other?
0: I believe that creativity is a a component of our DNA and who we are. And in order for us to really be Fully evolved human beings. I think we need to balance our analytical drive with the creative drive, and in that balance comes a certain intelligence that cannot just come from quantification. It cannot just come from you know uh, spreadsheets or whatnot. It is a, an intelligence that comes from empathy it is an intelligence that comes from humor uh, from courage it 's an intelligence that comes from soft skill and an intelligence that comes from happiness and positivity we don 't talk about positivity and happiness in business enough we don 't we 're always talking about you know profits and you know margins and stuff like that, which is super important, but we also need to start to introduce into the dialogue, a certain joy of doing things, and a certain joy of accomplishing those things that we're doing. And in that is a emotional intelligence that allows us the ability to say, okay, yeah, we're armed with the data, we're armed with the numbers. And that is the emotional sort of intelligent that's the 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 driver that takes that data and makes it into information and unless we're able to do that holistically and and in a repeatable way all we're doing is what everyone else is doing which is you know just producing
1: and speaking of emotions here now the positive emotions right being positive being optimistic these correlate nicely in a positive direction with creativity right uh why is it that, that these two kind of go together?
0: You know, it, it's one of those things where negativity kills creativity. It It is the recipe for an idea that's kind of dead in the water before it even has a chance to to kind of grow. Listen, I, I just wrote an article. Uh, I forgot what magazine it's in, but it it's called Bad Words, right? And it's about the fact that the English language has more negative ways to describe something negative than it does ways to describe something in a positive way. And I dug in, did a little research, and I found that that's not just true for English. It's true for every language on earth, every single language on earth. In English, I think it's something like 10 times more negative words than there are positive words. And so our sort of DNA, again, going back to the Harriet days, depended on us being sarcastic and, you know, pessimistic about the future because, well, a lot of people didn't live to see their 10th birthday um, disease and starvation and all this stuff ravaged us as people. And, you know, there wasn't a lot to be happy about um, yet today we still carry those same things, right. in our DNA and, and we're, we're like not, we're mismatched towards what today's society has become. It's just the way that our brains are, hasn't quickly evolved enough into the realities of what's going on today. And and to me, it's crazy, right? And we see sort of, you know, people being negative and, and, and carrying these sort of attributes that used to help us. Um, now they destroy us. And so what we need to do is we need to become, positive in order for creativity to grow and for creativity to get out. And that's why it's so important for us to have optimism and to have a sense of hope and um, a vision for the future that is not bleak uh, because then creativity is able to flow from that from pessimism comes analytical sort of solutions. Those analytical solutions are devoid of any kind of emotional intelligence and devoid of any kind of uh, psychological safety that is necessary in the workplace and in businesses to uh, really do well.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Actually, I read something um, that said something like we we have between or up to like 60,000 thoughts per day. And like, 80% of them are negative. And I thought that was just mind boggling. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I mean, what can we do? Like how what questions can we ask ourselves like when we're coming up to a problem to make sure like how do we frame these problems in more positive ways? You know, it
0: really is about just shifting our mentality and willing that response. It it is that easy. It's one of those things that is that easy to do. We just have to want it. We are born with the world's most incredible device ever. And that's our human brain. It spent a long time getting as good as it is. And it has the ability to physically rewire itself based on input that's new it's called neuroplasticity it's been studied it's legit Um, it's not like, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks and you, you can change your brain up to the day that you die and it just takes the will to do it. So next time, you know, you or your listeners are faced with a problem, you, you literally make a choice right then and there of how you want to deal with it. You can deal with it with what most people do, which is look at it negatively and sarcastically and, you know, uh, um sort of get down about it. Or you can say, you know what, I'm going to try to come up with some creative principles, some humor or empathy or courage or some soft skills to look at this problem and, and hope that it creates ideas for solutions that were never there before.
1: Yeah, man, the, that concept of uh, neuroplasticity, I wish I'd come across it when I was much younger. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm like in, a, in my late thirties now and uh, I unfortunately came across that idea. I mean, I feel like way too late in my life, just a few years ago. And ever since I've embraced that idea, built it into my belief system and just started to to do what you're just saying, get new ideas into my head because for the longest time, it was just like the same 12 songs on repeat week after week after week. You know what I mean? Um, and then just being able to recognize that, yeah, you can learn new, new things and you know, your thoughts are like a garden. You can grow flowers, you can grow weeds, right? That's right. Um, so you mentioned some of creativity's personality traits. Uh, let's dig into that a little bit more. What are these personality traits? You mentioned humor and courage. Uh, yeah, what are what are the, the, the personality traits of creativity? How do we cultivate those traits for ourselves?
0: I think, yeah, I think humor is incredibly important. Looking at a situation with humor allows us to see it differently. And it allows us to see potential problem solving tools that were never there before. Uh, When we're able to look at things in a funny or humorous way, it elicits a response in somebody that goes, oh, wow, you know, let's come up with this way or that way to solve it. So those are incredibly brilliant and effective, effective tool. Empathy is incredibly important. We spend a lot of our life not really understanding what other people are going through and, Understanding what other people are going through is incredibly important today and not just understanding kind of, oh, you know, I'm empathetic, but really like really walking a mile in their shoes and living and breathing what that person is going through in order to understand them better. I think it's incredibly important. And then finally, what the other thing I think is really important is having the courage to actually implement this stuff and go for it. That courage is the grit that it takes to get stuff done. Listen, there's, you know, a million people out there that will sell you a million solutions for anything, right? And they're usually get-rich-quick sort of snakeskin oil salesmen and stuff like that. And my, my approach is not that at all. It's really about, you know slow but steady growth and understanding that there is no get rich quick. There is no, you know, arrival. It's really part of a, of a journey. And those three tools are absolutely free. They cost nothing. It just takes your ability to say, you know what, I'm going to start to look at something with a little bit more humor. I'm going to inject some you know empathy into something when something goes wrong or one of my employees or vendor makes a mistake. And I'm going to have the courage to stick by those convictions because I know that it will make me a more creative person in the long run.
1: A lot of this, I think, has to do with the self-talk, the internal dialogue that you have as well, right? How do we catch ourselves when we're having these negative internal dialogues so that we can shift ourselves to, to have more of the cultivated, uh, create, you know, personality traits for creativity?
0: You know, it it really is about banishing the self-doubt monster and taking that weight off of our shoulders. We are told that we have to get it right all the time and that creates anxieties and incredible pressures upon us that are very, very hard to shake. And we need to get better as people, as a humanity in dealing with failure and accepting that we are our own worst enemy. So one thing that I like to do that your listeners can do now, if they wanted, was to grab a piece of paper and a pen and start to write down ideas that they have. And what ends up happening is, you, know, you might write down one idea or two and then get kind of stuck. But if you stick to it, and you keep going, you'll you'll notice that you start to like purge this stuff out. And instead of like, you know, trying to hold on to one little thing that you might think is good, if you just do it, there's a change in the brain when you pick up a pen and a piece of paper. It it's been studied and really that change allows you to shift the mentality of thinking into doing. And once you're doing, you're able to sort of create these. List of potential ideas, but really they're purging your system of keeping that self-doubt in there, and that's you know a, a very powerful tool that uh, that can help you get rid of that self-doubt. the The byproduct is the side effect is that later when you come and look at what you've written down, not just then but an hour later a day later a week later whatever you might see that you might have an idea or two in there that can be used somewhere else so it's kind of a a wonderful thing
1: yeah man having ideas is is like a muscle like i've got a idea journal uh, that i write every morning in 10 ideas and uh the first first seven they come but that last three or four man that's like that's the hardest ideas to get out. Um but yeah, 100% yep. agree with just writing stuff out, man. Like journaling is
0: It's what I saw those musicians in the studio do, it's what I saw those actors in Hollywood. Everybody had something to write down. Some drew pictures, some wrote words, some wrote out like, you know, their thoughts that didn't connect and so on and so forth. Um, I've seen people write in the margin of something and of a book or a script or whatever it is. And doing that is, uh, is, uh, an incredibly important thing because once you write something down, you change the modality of thinking into a thought that can fester in your mind and that you can, you know, think and overthink and triple think and double think about it turns it into something tangible that you can just cross right out, try it.
1: Yeah, oh, absolutely, man. I urge you guys to do it. So you talked a little bit earlier about this, uh, this idea of psychological safety, and you mentioned the personality traits of creativity. The, those personality traits, I feel like they work amazingly well when you're on a team. But to be on a team that is really going to be effective and creative, where you can share your ideas, you need that psychological safety. But what if we find ourselves on a team that we don't really feel psychologically safe how can we start kind of encouraging that in our environment is there anything that we could do
0: yes it, it really is about the individual tapping into who they are as a creative person and letting that out there is no secret recipe to you know you're on a shitty team somewhere with a bunch of people who aren't you know willing to to take a leap on an idea what ends up happening is that if you are truly in touch with this creative side and you're able to fuse that creative and the analytical, then water finds its level and eventually you'll find where you need to be and where you need to go. And the thing is a lot of businesses aren't much different than that scenario. They want to change too, uh, to some degree, but they don't know how it's going to be perceived. How are the customers going to perceive it? And, you know, it really is a fear based sort of decision. And so, there is no secret recipe to enabling that that uh, psychological safety. You have to build those systems in. And, you know, it starts from the ground up. But it really is about understanding that, you know, your ideas and, and who you are, is really important. And eventually that will lead you to where you need to go. It might not be today and it might not be tomorrow, uh, it might not be next week, but maybe in a couple months, maybe in a year or two, as things sort of pan out, you will naturally gravitate towards those who are of the same wavelength and of that sort of same mentality to solve problems in, in a different way. And you'll find your way eventually.
1: And a lot of that, I think, takes takes some... Um... Uh, skill in pushing the ego out of the way a little bit, right? So talk to us about what the dangers are of an inflated ego when it comes to creativity.
0: So egos kill creativity, just like the self-doubt monster, perhaps even more. We develop egos when we think that we know what will happen. And when we think that, you know, we have some advantage that other people don't have, we develop these egos that are able to, really just kill uh, ideas before they they start. I've worked with several companies that, you know, leadership teams had incredibly bad egos and, you know, they had uh, ways that uh, of, of approaching problems that killed creativity and they killed the possible solution of it. So really an ego is something that is an entirely destructive force in creativity. And it is something that takes away the humanity of different type of problem solving.
1: Fighting that ego, man, that that kind of goes against nature for, for a lot of people, right? Because, you know, just thinking about where we came from ancient human being days, right? How do we fight that, man? Like how do we fight something that comes so natural to us?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. I think we have to, we have to realize that these things are no longer they 're no longer doing what they were designed to do I mean ego in in a way was designed to protect us and to keep us alive and today it 's more destructive because you know it kills collaboration we 're not able to come up with ideas the, the The thing is a lot of times, I like to have someone else come up with the ideas, not me because it empowers other people to 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 really take ownership of the process. And when you're able to tie some of these elusive creative concepts to the bottom line, I think people start to get it and they start to realize, okay, I don't need to be doing it. I don't need to be the one driving the ship all the time. It's okay to hand the keys over um, because it is improving the bottom line. If you're able to tie the creative objective to a analytical sort of success Uh, I think people start to realize that, yeah, this is the direction we need to go.
1: You talk about the uh, four P's that we need for growth in the book. Can you walk us through that?
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, So I have four P's. It's uh, people, process, product, and profit in that order. People are the most important thing that you have uh, in any organization, whether you're uh, uh, on a career path or the owner of a company, um, you know, getting the right people and letting them do what they're good at is incredibly important and letting them take ownership of the process um, Process, then, is really important, too. It's about setting up a structure for creativity to be able to grow in. A lot of people think creativity is, oh, you know, you work from 11 p.m. to 4 a.m., and that's not what it's about at all. I mean, you can. That's what you want, but you'd have to do that every night and repeatedly. It is about getting into that rhythm, executing your product and service. You know, if you're able to do that, you're able to then come up with ideas for the product that uh, is new and different and exciting in the marketplace, then finally you're able to realize profit from those four channels being set up in that way. Again, it's really about infusing all of these things with creativity and not just the analytics.
1: It's pretty interesting, right? Like the people will think that, Having a routine, a structure in place, having discipline, these things are dampers on creativity, but they're really not, are they, right? Like having discipline, having the structure, all that in place enables you to be more creative. Why is that?
0: Absolutely. Because creativity needs those boundaries in order to survive. Um, People, when I told them that I was working on albums, they'd be like, oh, is it a party? Is it like a music video? I'd be like, no. We start at nine sometimes at eight in the morning. And we work till about four or five, right? We take a break at noon and they're like, well, that, that's like my job, boring. I'm like, yeah, some of it's boring. It's just, it's work like anything else. And then later when I worked on movies, you know, movie sets start at 6 a.m., 5.30 a.m. People get there, you know, actors. And, you know, we work till three or four in the afternoon, depending on the scene and depending on what's going on that day. Yeah, creativity needs the confines in order to be successful
1: something about constraints that force you to think more creatively is kind of paradoxical, right? Yeah. It's amazing, but it's true. So talk to us about how we can use a creator mindset then to be more creative with our time management.
0: Yeah. So time management is one of those really interesting things I touch about in the book. Um, Sometimes it's good and it's, it's weird because we're on a podcast right now, but I'm usually not the talker. I'm usually the listener and there are amazing creative things that can happen if you just learn to shut up from time to time, you know, and listen and do really, really good listening. Not just, you know, well, oh, yeah, I kind of heard what they said or whatever, but you're in a meeting, you know, do really, really good listening and empathize with that person and really try to understand where it is that they're coming from. There's amazing creative wealth that is often left on the table because people are busy trying to talk or they're just waiting to talk. They're literally waiting while someone else is saying something to say what they're going to say, uh, and not listening and building that conversation. So that's a a wonderful time management skill from the book that can, you know, make you almost instantly creative. Just, just zip it from time to time.
1: I like that. Uh, so just zip so, it. Just zip it from time to time. Yeah. I'm mean, gonna I mean, get a t-shirt. <laughs> just instead of it.
0: just do it, just zip it.
1: Just, just lips with like zip.
0: <laughs> yeah, with the with, uh, yeah, with uh, a zipper.
1: It's interesting, right? Just to to be quiet and listen. So it's like not only time management, it's time you spend talking management. That's really interesting. So yeah. let's let's do our last formal question before we jump into a quick random round here. It's a hundred years in the future. What do you want to be remembered for?
0: Oh, wow, that's a good one. You know, I think um, I'd be happy if I were able to make an impact and sort of help people understand that there's another modality that our brains are set up to work in. And that's creativity. I would be happy if, you know, someone were to discover a particular, you know, medical thing that would help or, you know, uh, some advancement in science, or you know, I don't know, data analytics, um, data science that would enable, you know, the betterment of society. I'd be very, very happy if somebody were to think a bit creatively and then apply that to their tr- given trade or vocation in, in order to make the world a bit of a better place.
1: I love it, man. And I absolutely encourage everyone here, buy 10 copies of this book, give one to everybody on your team. Uh, It's that good. I really enjoyed it. I'm really looking forward to uh, slicing and dicing it and, and putting little mini episodes on the podcast, talking about bits and pieces of the book and how I've applied some of it in my own life. I'm really looking forward to doing that. So jumping into the random round here, what are you currently most excited about or what are you currently exploring?
0: Um, I am most excited about the fact if I, if I can answer this, honestly, the fact that my team in England, my football team has just won two games in a row for the first time in like (laughs) 10 years. I'm like so excited about it. Um, what team is that? West Ham United. Come on, you Irons. We're going to win the league. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, you have to have the distraction. Like you can't, you know, you can't be all business all the time and, for me, that's my, like, I'm embarrassed to admit how much time I spend watching football. And then I am embarrassed to admit how much time I spend, like, reading about the transfers and, like, what a player said in the locker room about the former, you know, coach or whatever. And the, that manager doesn't like this guy. I'm like, I'm so into it. It's just like, a, it's like a wonderful escape for me. So I'm very excited about the, the next game uh, where we're playing uh, Tottenham. And I hope that we beat them like 10 nil, uh, cause I hate them. And I uh, you know, like really excited about the first season in, in like recent memory. I'm talking 10 plus years where we've won more games than we've lost. So that's a good thing. Um, that's yeah, that's huge, kind man. of what I'm really excited about right now.
1: That's huge. So what are you inspired by? Are you inspired by the same thing or inspired by something different right now? You know,
0: I, so I read a lot. I'm like you. I read probably a book a week. And I'm reading a really great book right now called The Hot Hand. Um, I forgot the guy's name. I think it's John Cohen or Ben Cohen. Um, and it's about statistics and probability. So good. It's so good. Um, before that, I read uh, Amy Edmelson's, uh The Fearless Organization. Before that, I read um, Emily Balsedis' book. Uh, clearer, closer, better. Um, There is a renaissance in books these days. And I'm so inspired by what people are doing out there. Um, Behavioral psychology is becoming like a boom right now, right? Everybody wants to know why it is that we're doing what we're doing. Um, And some of the books that are being generated in that field, you know, Adam Grant's books and, you know, Adam Atler and Wayne Baker's stuff. I mean, it's just... So good. I I encourage your listeners to pick up some of these books, whether they're Audible or a hard copy or whatever, and just just see the amazing amount, the wealth of information that's out there. You ought to be able to go through one of these books every week, you know, and it enriches your life in untold ways.
1: Absolutely agree with you, man. Hundred um, percent. Definitely gonna get that book, The Hot Hand. That sounds like something that'll be right up. Uh- my audience's alley as well. Yeah, have them on the show. Yeah, I'll try to, man. I'll try. Um, so in terms of books, man, like hides uh, from your book, which is absolutely amazing, I was reading this this week, I'm also interviewing uh, the guy that wrote Serendipity Mindset. And I think this, uh, is cool. one, this is one that I think you would really, really enjoy. So if you get a chance to, to pick that no, up.
0: Nice, I'll pick it up. Definitely. I need a next book.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a good one, man. Um, and then you can listen to the interview that I did with him after you listen to yours. <laughs> So what, what do you believe that other people think is crazy?
0: Um, I, I believe that we're all creative. We're all born this way and we just need a technique and a methodology to get it out. So that's what I believe. And people think I'm nuts. They think that you're either born with it. You either have it or you don't. And they don't feel like you can learn it. But I feel like you can learn it just like you can riding a bike or anything else. And uh, for me, that that gets a lot of controversy sometimes.
1: What song do you currently have on repeat? In my mind? Yeah, that works.
0: Um, my wife's been listening to a lot of soft rock. Right. So it's like journey and like Boston. It's just like in repeat on my head.
1: <laughs> it could be worse. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> could be I worse mean, thing. you know, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to jump into the random question generator now for a few questions. So I'm going to go ahead and pull this up.
0: i love it. Is this a real random thing?
1: Yeah. All right. What's an unpopular opinion you have?
0: (laughs) I like the rubber ducky. That's cool. The floating, we're looking at a floating rubber ducky with a random question generator app. Um, An unpopular opinion that I have. Um, Let's see. I think that West Ham's going to win the league. (laughs) That's unpopular. Trust me. The odds on that are like, if you put a dollar on that, you'd make, you know, 2,500.
1: Hey, it's not bad, man. I,
0: yeah. Put a book uh, on it. Go ahead. Uh, what, What's the last book you gave up on and stopped reading? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, there was a book called the Chesapeake something experiment or something. It was awful. It was about a fading piece of land. I, I only read nonfiction. Um, I don't read any, uh, any fiction at all. I just read nonfiction. And it was about, um, you know, the last family that lives on a spit of land uh, in uh, just outside of Virginia. And I couldn't make it past the first like 70 pages, which is super rare, because I'll read anything. Like, I just like to read. I like words on a page. I like flipping it. And I like my eyes scanning. Um, But this one was so bad. It was like, it just had no redeeming value it was kind of negative and the subjects in the book were viewed in my opinion they were viewed as you know inferior to the author's intellect i just hate that kind of stuff so uh mm. i stopped reading that right 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 away
1: put that on top top three books to avoid uh what's an oh we already did that one what, what was your best birthday
0: it was called the Chesapeake requiem a year yeah. with the watermen of vanishing Tangier Island. Uh, I don't yeah. recommend it. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe you'll love it. You know?
1: Yeah. Uh, was
0: well, my best birthday ever?
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, I had like probably my fifth or sixth birthday when we went to the fire station. Can't top it, dude. dude <laughs> Cannot awesome. top it.
1: That is awesome. Have you ever saved someone's life?
0: Have I ever saved someone's life? Wow. That's a good one. No, I don't think so. Have you?
1: I haven't. No, I don't think I have. Yeah. Uh, unless I count, uh, just keep my son alive. He's five months old. So I there you go. <laughs> Save his life every day.
0: Hey, believe uh, me, I get it at that age.
1: <laughs> What's your earliest memory?
0: Uh, my earliest memory is finding a parking spot in Los Angeles, going to the grocery store finding parking in, in LA is like a really, really big deal. And it's seared into my memory. Just finding like somewhere to put, put the car was like such a victory. Like it was, you know, it was like the best thing that's ever happened. And so that is my earliest memory. I think I was three. Wow.
1: Uh, last random question here. What makes you cry?
0: Wow. Um, You know, not much. And it makes me cry. Uh, but I would have to say, you know, when I think of my son and his accomplishments and, you know, the things that he's able to solve uh, on his own, they, that that gets the emotion going. And, you know, he's three and a half and being able to see how he kind of deals with the world and, you know, seeing him solve problems in, in ways that, you know, I wouldn't think of in a million years just gives me so much hope for humanity.
1: That's awesome. That is awesome. And so, where can people find your books?
0: So, yes, yeah, on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, some stores, uh, in stores. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, pretty much available everywhere.
1: You definitely can include a link to that in the show notes for people to check out as well. Sweet. How can people connect with you and where can they find you online?
0: So, I have a website at nirbashan.com, dot N.com. I have a community on there. If you'd like to join, we'd love to have you. And your listeners, basically, uh, you know, you. We talk about creativity. We have C-suite all the way to students in there, and everybody's asking questions and getting help. It's actually Adam Grant and Wayne Baker's um, a platform. It's called Givitas where it's all free. Nobody's selling anything. You sign up; it's free. It's free to ask questions. It's free to engage. Everything is free, and um, it's kind of a cool thing. So I would love to see you guys on there, and love to. Listen to uh, what your uh, uh, listeners have to say on the, uh, on the community website.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely could a link to that and I, you'll see me around there uh, as well. Definitely looking forward to joining that. Nir, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to talk about your book today. I really appreciate you coming on to the show.
0: Thanks for having me. It's been fun.